From WDEV, welcome to Vermont Viewpoint. I'm Kevin Ellis. Thanks for joining us. It's Wednesday, Wednesday, December 19th, and I am back. Yes, it's me. I was gone for two weeks driving across the country, and as much as I wanted to do the show from the car or some Motel 6, I figured it was best to take some time off. I'll say a lot more about the trip, and I hope to get your calls about driving cross-country and other matters uh, today and uh, on future shows. But we've got to talk about the flooding that hit central Vermont again this week. So we are going to speak with Agency of Natural Resources Secretary Julie Moore about what happened and what happens next. Then we'll talk with my friend Lisa Loomis, the editor and publisher of The Valley Reporter, who this audience knows well. The Mad River Valley was hit especially hard, I think, and I wanted to get it straight from the reporters covering it all. And with any luck, uh, the editor of the Waterbury Roundabout, Lisa Scalotti, will join us to talk about uh, what's going on in Waterbury vis-a-vis flooding. Um, as a reminder, the WD- WDEV will carry the governor's press conference live right after the show uh, when he gives his latest flood update I, I think that's uh, scheduled, and I think that's going off at 11. Uh, stay tuned for more details. But if the governor does uh, does give us a, a do a flood press conference, we will bring it to you live at 10 a.m. C.D. Madison, or Madison as she's known, she was a candidate for mayor of Burlington. She came up short in the Democratic caucus uh, to Joan Shannon, but Madison got a lot of votes, and she has a lot to say about the race and the future of the Queen City. And now that she is no longer in the race, she might be a little more free to speak her mind. Uh, it's, it's always been an interest of mine to talk to those who come up short because, uh, boy, when you put yourself out there in politics, in public, and come up short, uh, it's it's hard both uh, sort of personally, uh, emotionally, uh, physically, in all sorts of ways. And uh, and Madison has got some views that, that I'm interested in hearing, and I think the audience will too. And lastly, my cross-country trip. Glad to take your calls about it. So many people have done this. There are so many ways to do it and so many routes to go. Uh, we we kind of took the middle route from Washington, D.C., um, through West Virginia, Louisville, Kentucky, Kentucky Oklahoma. Uh, so uh, I'm glad to talk about that as well. Uh, We ended up in California. Uh, More about that later. It's a lot to get to. And, of course, we take your calls at 244-1777. I'll take your emails at vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. You, of course, can hear us on the AM and FM dial and worldwide at wdevradio.com. Just click on the Listen button. And if you miss the show, you can catch up with the podcast that we make available very soon after the show ends, especially for my mother, in New Jersey this holiday season. All that and more on VT Viewpoint. But first, driving cross-country. We started in Washington, D.C., drove to Northern California by way of Davis, West Virginia, Louisville, Kentucky, St. Louis, Missouri, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Oklahoma City, Amarillo, Texas. That was interesting. Uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico, Uh, Albuquerque, Flagstaff, did the Grand Canyon, the Mojave Desert, and on up to a little place called Point Reyes Station, California. Get out your map. Um, And I am broadcasting today from uh, the studios 
radio studios of KWMR Community Radio and Point Ray Station, um, who have been so welcoming and wonderful. Uh, and I'm sitting in their Studio B, which has all the usual radio technology, and it also has the kitchen. It's got the microwave, the sink, and uh, well, I don't see a little fridge, but uh, it, it, like all community radio stations, it has multiple uh, functions. To envision Point Ray Station, California, think of a town in Vermont about the size of Waterbury, but a bit smaller. It has two bakeries, a great bookstore, a hardware store, and a market, uh, along with a mixture of shops. Uh, the town is smack dab in the middle of the Point Reyes National Seashore, which is a national park created by an act of Congress signed by President Kennedy in 1962. If you like downtown Waterbury or Montpelier, you would love Point Reyes Station. Just imagine Waterbury surrounded by the Pacific Ocean and, and a beautiful bay called Tamales Bay where uh, the locals uh, grow oysters. The place is famous for its oysters. Wow, did we learn a lot coming cross-country, and I'll detail some of those experiences over the next few shows. Don't hesitate to call in with your own cross-country experiences. We have to drive back. So we're looking for a new route and new experiences. Uh, I'd love to go the northern route, but one of the, way, one of the reasons we did this, uh, this, this drive was to stay warm. And uh, so going back through Minnesota and Colorado is not really my favorite idea. I'd rather go south. However, there's so much to see uh, on the northern route. So uh, with that, again, I'll take your calls to share uh, your cross-country trip uh, experiences and travails. And after the break, flooding again with Julie Moore, the Secretary of the Agency of Natural Resources, and we will be back after these messages. You're listening to Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. Welcome back. The governor called Monday's flood a gut punch and heartbreaking. Friends of mine all over central Vermont expressed a kind of PTSD. After their businesses were destroyed in July, shopkeepers from Waterbury to Montpelier to Barrie and elsewhere watched in horror as the Winooski River rose again. Emergency sandbagging operations broke out, forcing us to talk about this issue again and not just talk about it, but uh, we're going to have to deal with it. And to do that, we have, I think, the best person to help us through this, which is the secretary of the Agency of Natural Resources, Julie Moore. She is the governor's top environmental official. And when it rains and floods, she gets very nervous about roads, dams, waterways, and a lot more. And after the rain stops, she has to figure out with other state officials how to fix the damage. Secretary Moore, thank you for being here. You're welcome, Kevin. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. So, uh, so first of all, what happened Monday? Let's can we try to try to sort of tell the audience the what of all this? What exactly happened? How much rain? What communities affected, etc.? Sure. Um, so there there were variable rainfall totals across Vermont. Um, some communities experiencing two to three inches, and others much less. Um, another factor in terms of the, the amount of water that was available to run off the landscape is, is snowpack. 
um, and in central Vermont, and particularly higher up in the green. Uh, there was some fairly significant snow on the ground. I, I coincidentally had had a conversation with the, the new general manager of the Stowe Mountain Resort that morning, and she had shared uh, they, that their current snowpack at the top was 38 inches. Um, and so with warm temperatures and, and relatively warm rain, particularly for December, um, it was a, a really rough mix that created an enormous amount of stormwater runoff. Um, and, and we saw widespread flooding. I think um, the, the minor flooding was more extensive in many ways than, than what was experienced in, in July. Um, we know that some areas that, that escaped um, significant or major flooding during the July storms uh, saw more significant flooding on Monday. Um, and then that there are other areas where very much as you indicate, um, particularly in central Vermont, where, where waters came uh, right up to lapping at folks' doors, and a lot of um, businesses and homeowners reporting wet basements, but maybe not reaching the, the first floor of many of these structures like we did see and experience in July. Uh, so what, what do you do? I'm interested in your role as a government official. Um, you know, what do you, what do you do today? Take us through, you know, the rain has stopped uh, the waters are receding. So what what do you do in relation to the rest of the cabinet and state officials? What's your day going to look like today? Sure. Um, so the, the first thing we have been doing um, is the Agency of Natural Resources is, is actually responsible for the three flood control facilities on the Winooski River. Those are the uh, dams at Waterbury, Wrightsville, and Middlesex and Eastbury. Uh, we had staff uh, that actually spent the night at two of those facilities overnight on Monday just to have uh, real-time observations as conditions continued to, to develop um, and have been out uh, inspecting those facilities for damage. We had done a, a comprehensive assessment not only of our own dams, um, but all of the significant and high-hazard dams statewide following the July floods. And so are reaching out to, to private dam owners where defects were identified um, or damage was identified following the July flood, asking them to, to take another look and ensure conditions didn't worsen um, and performing those, those same uh, types of, of inspections on our own facility. The, the Agency of Natural Resources actually owns about 80 dams in total statewide. Um, those three major flood control facilities obviously being our, our priority during these kinds of events, um, but also had a couple of dams that, that experienced some damage during July and have engineers out in the field today uh, looking at them to, to make sure that further repairs or to identify further repairs if needed. We are also in communication uh, with drinking water and wastewater operators statewide. Uh, we have had reports from about 15 wastewater facilities whose operations were uh, adversely impacted by the high flows earlier this week. Um, but the good news being none of them saw significant structural damage to their facilities. These were really um, uh, truly associated with, with high, high water, um, may have caused a, a reduction in the, the quality of the treat, a temporary reduction in treatment provided, um, but all systems appear to be back online as of this morning. Uh, we also, the geology division is housed here at ANR, and they have been partnering with VTRANS, uh, looking at a, a series of landslides that occurred 
uh, Monday into Tuesday, impacting several roads, including uh, Route 100, uh, Route 11, and I, I think Route 2 and near St. John's Ferry. Um, and then, then finally, uh, the, the bills management program is also part of the agency. And so making sure that Vermonters who may have had water in their basement uh, that affected their, their fuel tanks are aware of the resources we have to help. Uh, a very little bit of fuel oil can create an extremely unhealthy condition in a house. And so anyone whose um, fuel tank may have, have floated off its its foundation as a result of water in their basement is encouraged to, to call our SILS team, and we would be happy to provide them with uh, technical assistance and advice on, on how to address conditions that they may be facing. Is there uh, an, an easy number to call or a website that they should go to in, in, in case they want to do that? Yes. If, if somebody has a concern related to a spill of, of any sort of home heating fuel, they should call one 800 641-5005. Okay. Uh, the last time you were here in July, you talked about those dams that are under your control, and especially in uh, in Waterbury and the Montpelier area on the Winooski, you, you talked about needing more tools at one of those dams, uh, one of those dams that almost breached. How How is that dam doing? And and what's the prognosis for you getting more, as I think we called it, buttons and dials back then? <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Yeah, so the, you're specifically talking about the Wrightsville Reservoir, but the, the dam at Wrightsville is, is very similar to the dam at East Ferry in that both of those are what we would call passive flood control facilities, um, meaning just as it sounds, we, we don't have any knobs or dials that we're able to turn right now as water comes up in those reservoirs. Um, both of those reservoirs crested well below uh, where water would have actually started to spill over the dam um, during this event. So that was different than what we saw in July. Um, and we have, are continuing to work with the, the Army Corps of Engineers um, to gain their, their technical assistance as the, the original designers of those dams following the 1927 flood in looking at ways that we can uh, gain a degree of control over their operations and have submitted a, a specific request for funding through Senator Sanders and Representative Balance Office uh, under the Water Resources Development Act, which uh, Congress is, is working on as we speak, and that's, that is the bill that provides funding to the Army Corps, which in turn could allow them to have resources to support the kinds of evaluation we, we know are needed at these facilities. And uh, Madam Secretary, what, what's the worst uh, hard hit areas? I, I saw the pictures in the Mad River Valley, especially Moortown. I've got friends in Jamaica who were hit hard. Um, are you, you must have a kind of a list of, of the hardest hit towns. Can you share that with us? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you've identified two, two of the hardest hit areas. Uh, the Mad River Valley certainly saw extensive flooding, much more so than I was experienced in July. Um, again, that, that Jamaica, Ludlow, Londonderry area experienced flooding. And, and the other area we've, we've received reports from um, is up in Linden, uh, which is an area that maybe didn't see the same kind of, of rainfall during the July storms, um, but appear, appears to have experienced um, more significant flooding as a result of, of Sunday and Monday's rain. It's... Uh... 
it's it's uh, in reading the coverage mostly in digger uh the it, it, there was one example of a of a plastic sled getting in the way of a culvert uh, it's there are all sorts of sort of very oh i don't know amateurish or local uh kind of grassroots problems that make the flooding worse um and i just i, I is there a way to uh fix those problems for the future or do you, do we just have to accept it and deal with it? I, I, I think there's sort of two components to the, that answer. There, there's a near-term component um, and the types of examples you're citing where a, a, a chunk of debris uh, can cause a whole lot of damage is a reason that the, the state um, ANR working in partnership with Vermont Emergency Management and VTRANS uh, over the last several months placed incredible emphasis on debris removal, um, particularly around bridges and culverts, but also uh, other places where there were significant de debris piles. Uh, the governor also made a, a clear priority of providing supports to municipalities to uh, inspect and where necessary uh, vector, vector out their stormwater systems. Um, and I think all of these things paid dividends in the storm, that sort of need for, for responsive and, and near immediate maintenance. Um, is really an, an important one to, to make sure you're ready for the, the next flood event. Not that we had any idea this would occur, um, but absolutely wanted to, to be prepared in the event it did. The other piece is, is a longer term proposition, and that's looking at how we design, in particular, bridges and culverts. Um, there's been really significant changes in, in practice. Um, it's been an area of probably some of the best cooperation I've, I've experienced in my interagency cooperation. I've experienced in my time in state government and this work between VTRANS um, and the river management engineers here at ANR to think um, more, more uh, with a, a bigger picture in terms of the, how we size bridge and culvert openings, not only so they can pass floodwaters, um, but also so that they can pass the ex expected debris load. And uh, I think the July storms, as we talked about previously, really were sort of a proof of concept in showing uh, that if you size structures appropriately, um, they, they are able to hold up under some pretty uh, severe conditions. And I think still we believe there was only one structure uh, that had been designed using these modern standards and, and replaced um, in the time since Irene that was a complete loss um, during the July flood. Uh, and last question, the, I, I, this will be, I mean, obviously climate change is, 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 at, the, is at the root of this, uh, regardless of your politics. Uh, the climate's changing and uh, we're going to have to deal with this. I always focus on adaptation and resilience. Uh, I know the legislature will be talking about this. What, what will you be talking to the legislature about this, this winter? when it comes to this kind of, whether it's climate or flooding or resilience and adaptation, what's on your agenda? Sure. I've really started to organize my, my own thinking about uh, resilience into to four big buckets, um, the first of which I, I would call nature-based solutions, right? And that's things like riparian area protection, floodplain restoration, um, strategic wetland conservation, particularly wetlands that are, are near our rivers and streams. So creating those places 
uh, where rivers can safely come out of their banks without damaging property or causing a potential uh, public public uh, safety risk. The next piece of it um, is thinking about hardening infrastructure that, that by virtue of what it is needs to stay in more vulnerable locations. Uh, wastewater treatment plants are at the top of my list uh, by probably because I'm a civil engineer, but um, thinking about things from fairly modest solutions like backup prevention valves that would keep uh, river water from flooding backwards into our wastewater facilities during high flow events. Uh, to other types of, of hardening that may be important to prevent floodwaters from overtaking those facilities. The next piece is really thinking about uh, future design, and that speaks to some of the points I just made about bridges and culverts. And as we're replacing um, pieces of core infrastructure um, at the state level, but also at the municipal level, making sure we're thinking about uh, future climate conditions, uh, not historic conditions and, and probably not even today's conditions, but realistically, many of our bridges and culverts are intended to last 20, 30, 50 years and to be thinking about what the climate may look like uh, throughout the expected life of that asset. And then the other piece is continuing to, to look for opportunities to build on our ability to have fast, effective emergency response. Uh, we had a, a handful of places where we, we found some real pinch points in our, our own system. Um, the governor was able to address those through executive order uh, during this emergency, um, but we'll certainly have a list of tools that, that think might be helpful uh, to future uh, state agency staff in, in responding to, to flood events on down the line. Okay. All right. Well, a huge agenda ahead. Um, Julie Moore, the Secretary of Natural Resources, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, best of luck going forward. We'll listen for you at the Governor's Press Conference. Thank you, Kevin. Safe travels. We are back. I'm Kevin Ellis, broadcasting live from the studios of KWMR in Point Reyes Station, California. They've been kind enough to give me a studio here so that I can do the show uh, as scheduled, which is a blast. And uh, it's strangely, it is uh, raining for a third day here in California. Uh, I, they welcome it here. Uh, I guess we're not welcoming it so much in Vermont. But to talk about more about the flooding that just hit us on Monday is Lisa Loomis, the editor and publisher of the Valley Reporter. Uh, for my money, the best eyes and ears in Vermont of, of its community, a frequent guest on this station, welcome Madam Loomis. Hello, Kevin. Nice to talk to you. Good to talk to you. So what happened? I, I've, I've been watching uh, Instagram and all the pictures all over uh, all other online publications. Give us the details. It rained, and it rained hard, and it started raining early Monday morning, and it did not stop until 2, and there was a brief let-up, and then it rained some more. And the first thing that happened was flooding at the Moortown Elementary School. The school kids got there shortly before 8 o'clock, and the principal noticed a river forming behind the school, which is not from the Mad River. That was from an uphill stream. And quickly, school was canceled and those kids were sent home. And then very shortly after that, all the kids in the district were sent home because it was clear we were going to have a major incident and the roads were going to flood. And they did. And 
Waitsfield was luckily largely spared. Um, we had some uh, water in a couple basements. We had wa- the water came right up to the edge of the mat of the Waitsfield covered bridge, but did no damage. There was some damage to farm fields, and the local business, the Sweet Spot, had water right up to its front stoop. That's right back there along the Mad River and the Bridge Street Marketplace. There were a couple yeah, other. One, one of my favorite places. I know, great food. One of the other, one another business there, um, located where the Mint Restaurant used to be, was fortunate, and so were several businesses. Were fortunate to have people helping them sandbag and move things to higher ground. And so, although the water didn't encroach, we were prepared because we were also spared, thankfully, in the July flooding for the most part. Our neighbors in Moortown. We're not so lucky. They had probably a dozen homes with water in their basement. Um, again, not as bad of, a, of an inundation as we saw during Tropical Storm Irene when entire first and second floors had to be gutted. But um, still, it's no fun to pump mud out of your basement. In most cases, I believe the water level stayed below people's boilers. So that's one piece of infrastructure spared, one hopes. Yeah. I, I And I know you talked to the fire chief uh, in Moortown, what's what's he saying in the last few hours? Um, Stefan Pratt is the fire chief and also the um, emergency management um, coordinator for the town of Moortown. And he, as well as the other emergency management folks from our other towns, were in incredibly close contact with us throughout the day, which was unbelievably helpful because we were able to relay information in real time to readers via web, social media and via our website. And it was particularly useful for people trying to figure out how to get around because so many roads were closed or partially closed throughout the course of the day. And we would see people responding to Twitter posts or Facebook posts asking, can you get there from here? Here's the workaround. And I know that in Waterbury, it was the same way that people had to use Stowe Street because downtown was flooded, right, to get to the interstate. And Stefan Pratt, Around 11 o'clock on Monday, asked village residents to prepare to evacuate. And then I think it was 1245 when the siren went off in Moortown, which is pretty dramatic, right? And um, people did evacuate. Now, interestingly enough, at that point, Route 100B to the north was closed. And the Route 100B to the south was closed by the cemetery where water always comes up around that corner. And so people had to basically flee up the hill, the corner of the intersection of Wadefield Common and the Moortown Mountain Road. People had to wait it out up there. And I think the all clear was given around 8 o'clock that night. And the Moortown Mountain Road was also damaged higher up on the, up the top. So people couldn't leave and go to Roxbury or go to Montpelier or go to friends' houses. So they were really pretty much trapped unless they knew someone on South Hill Road or the Mountain Road where they could visit. And, and uh, Lisa, uh, Lisa, what's going on up at the ski areas? So Mad River Glen lost all of its natural snow, according to Mountain Manager, General Manager Matt Lillard. They are closed. They closed, well, obviously they closed during the rain, and then they stayed closed yesterday and today, and they're going to reassess and open tomorrow with skiing on the practice slope, and temperatures are good for making snow, and they've got limited snow making, but they will do what they can to get some trails open. At Sugarbush, uh, communications manager John Blay said 
they lost almost all of their natural snow as well, and that the snowmaking trails held up fairly well, and they are open. They were open again yesterday with skiing on 21 trails, I think, at, Sugar, at Lincoln Peak and at Mount Ellen, which opens on Friday. They have um, skiing on 11 snowmaking trails, and temperatures are also good, and they've got a full fleet of snowmakers and lots of waters for both mountains. So they'll they'll be in good shape. They'll be fine. Okay. Uh, and so what's what's in the paper coming up? I mean, I think today is production day. You must be exhausted, but tell us what's to look forward to in the paper and on the website. We've got great pictures on our website and in on our and on our Facebook page and our Twitter page. We've got reader pictures that were shared throughout the day, and we've got some really stunning uh, drone photography pictures by photos by Kintz, uh, a husband and wife couple who are ubiquitous in our community, taking pictures wherever we need them. And their drone photography shows the peak of flooding on Bridge Street, focused um, which a covered bridge. And what's really amazing about these pictures is they clearly show the value of floodplains, right? So you can see the fields to the north of the Waitsfield Covered Bridge, the farm fields that are sort of behind the Waitsfield Church, are inundated with water. And the field north of the Waitsfield Elementary School is inundated with water. But that's good because that obviously takes the pressure off downstream pinch points. And then you can see Couples Club Recreation Field, which is south of the Covered Bridge, you can see it as well is inundated with water. And that's it's clear that when you give rivers a place to go, you're slowing that flow of water downstream and helping reduce the damaging impacts of it. So check out, people will want to check out those photos. They're really impressive. Lisa Loomis, the editor and publisher of The Valley Reporter, and we are joined by Lisa Scalotti, the editor, founder, uh, bottle chief bottle washer of the Waterbury Roundabout, my old friend from the Burlington Free Press, Skagliotti. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Kevin. Are we? We're connected here and everything across all the miles. It's a, it's amazing. Okay, tell us uh, what happened in Waterbury on Monday. Well, um, well, you know, just listening to Lisa and you know, sort of describing what happened over there, it really was uh, here. It felt like kind of a rerun of July, you know, uh, where we had this weather forecast and we're looking at the predictions, and you know, it was just raining and raining all day Sunday, and just watching the river rise. Um, and then by Monday, um, it was clear that it was probably not going to stay in its banks, and also some of the major streams weren't going to stay in their banks. Um, and we just, you know, luckily it was during the daytime. Um, so sometimes these events unfold at night, uh, kind of like Irene did, um, and even the July storm as well. Um, so during the day, at least people had a good view of what was happening in real time. Um, and as the day unfolded, you know, it was just a matter of keeping an eye on the water and slowly, like, closing roads. We saw our park, Dacro Park, which is the big uh, playing fields right in downtown Waterbury when you enter the town um, by the round, the actual roundabout. Um, that was filling up, which it always does, and then we, you know, started to see um, the streets in, in downtown that are along the um, Thatcher Brook that comes down from the higher ground. Uh, that was starting to fill up and, and really run high. 
and hard, and um, along Route 100, um, by Guptill Road, up by Zen Barn, past the Ben and Jerry's factory, that was filling way, way, way up. Um, and, you know, uh, the town manager, um, Tom Lights, uh, showed me a little trick the other day, which I learned of all the years of, of covering things like, you know, landfills and wastewater and things like that, I learned how to inspect the storm drains. Um, and so he was showing me um, where the storm drains were just completely filled, because not only were they trying to catch runoff, they were also getting filled. The river was starting to fill in with them as well. So the water just had no way to where to go, and it just ends up spilling into the neighborhoods and the streets, et cetera. So, um, you know, the challenge here, like Lisa was saying, is that you know, Waterbury is, is, is known as the crossroads. So a lot of people live here and work here, but they also come through here. So as roads were starting to close, um, there were a lot of people who were trying to just get from point A to point B, and um, that was getting challenging as, you know, Main Street, which is Route 2 and 100, is, is getting filled up. So there was a lot of kind of redirecting traffic and um, fortunately, we um, didn't have too many incidents with that, but there were a couple of people who drove into very deep water, um, and we had to have some of the, uh, the Stowe Rescue uh, folks were here, the Stowe Mountain Rescue folks were here, and they actually assisted with a couple incidents where people got into trouble in very deep water and um, had to be helped out of their vehicles. Um, in one case, in the afternoon, it was an 81-year-old man um, who had a cane, um, and, you know, it's December. This water is not warm. Um, so people who ended up getting wet got cold very quickly. Um, so luckily there wasn't too much of that. But, um, you know, as, as fast as it came, it then sort of all went down by yesterday morning. Wow. It's, it, can I ask you both this question? Um, I know my friends in Montpelier ex, were expressing a kind of an emotional reaction, especially, you know, when they started realizing that, uh, they were not going to be inundated as badly as July. There was this reaction of, oh, my God, I just, you know, even though we didn't get destroyed again, I just can't take this anymore. Um, did you, did uh, Lisa Loomis, did you experience any of that in the Valley? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think Lisa F and I were texting about it, like, my God, still yet more pictures of our communities underwater. It's disheartening, discouraging, anxiety provoking. And just because we're reporting on it doesn't mean we're immune to, to feeling, sharing those feelings. It's, you know, we are incredible. It's like a circus when this is happening and we're sharing information with each other. People are sharing information with us. We're doing our best to get it out on getting out immediately to, to our communities. I mean, I felt like I was running a marathon all day on Monday and I'm sure Lisa felt the same way. Well, oh, yeah, a hundred percent. You know, you have a knot in your stomach all day long and you're trying to, you know, you're, you're trying to gather information, but this is also your neighbors and your friends and your, and your, you know, your own community that this is happening to. And so you're, you know, you're concerned about the kids getting home from school while you're also trying to report on the fact that the kids are coming home from school. Um, you know, I was, uh, one of the, the moments where I just kind of like, I, I kind of really teared up and I was just so grateful was when I heard, um, I've, a, I've got one uh, child still in school who's a high schooler um, and she was at Harwood that morning um, she did not drive but she was in a carpool that day and when they made the call to send the students home that morning um, they had a dismissal for primary school students and a dismissal for the older students at different times the principals called into the uh, into the auditorium at Harwood all of the students that had cars at school that had to drive themselves home and they were going to send them out before they were going to be dismissed first before the buses left 
Um, and they, they brought them together, and they, they got the kids in one room. And these two principals are mothers themselves, right? So they're parents and they're administrators. And they got them together, and they talked to them about making sure that they drove safe, that they drove the speed limit, to be careful of anything that might be in the roads, and to, about hydroplaning. And they wanted to make sure that they got home safe, but they had to send them home in their own vehicles. They didn't come to school that morning expecting to have to go home in a hurry early under those conditions. And so I was just so happy to hear that. I thought, wow, you know, they're really trying to, you know, make sure that everybody gets home safe. And it was a, a good call to get everybody back home before things really got um, bad on the roads and the, the buses would have had trouble, et cetera, et cetera. Um, no, but, you know, just, it's, it's those moments where you just realize everybody just, you sort of kick in and you're like, okay, what do we do? And people, unfortunately, now are very familiar with this, with this routine. Um, we saw that, too, in our town offices because our select board did a sort of an emergency meeting midday that day to kind of assess what was happening. Um, and to make sure that different bases were covered, that they were pay- paying attention to the neighborhoods and the roads, et cetera. Um, but, you know, it's kind of all hands on deck, and you've got this adrenaline going, but you also, we didn't know, you know, in the middle of it, we didn't know it wasn't going to be as bad as last time. And for some people, it actually has been as bad. Some people have as much water as they did before. Some don't. Um, but anyhow, one of the um, one of the issues hearing the secretary on before too, um, and I don't know. Lisa was watching the Mad River um, forecasts on the, uh, the little geological survey uh, charts oh, that yes, we watched. That. Um, one thing that's that was sort of it. frustrating that we were trying to get a handle on was that those river forecasts that we watch on the there's a U.S. Geological Survey um, graph that they have these um, gauges that measure the rivers. Um, we're watching them, and every hour it updates with the actual observation. And in real time, we're here in Waterbury watching the forecast and the real observations. And the real observations were actually the river was higher than what the forecast was at that time. So, like, the expectations game was really sort of a, a, a guessing game, and we're trying to put information out to people saying, we don't think the river is going to get into major flood stage, but we're already at moderate, and it says it's only going to be at minor. So, you know, everybody everybody really needs to be alert. Um, and so that information was a little was a little iffy, and um, it was hard to know where things were going to land because it felt like the, the real-time observations and the forecasts were not in sync. Can we can we end uh, in the couple of minutes we have left? Uh, can we end with a discussion of climate change? Uh, this, I find this such a difficult. You know, if Bill McKibben was here, he'd say, "This is what happens when you don't act." Uh, but in little towns like Waterbury, Waitsfield, Montpelier, you know, you can't you can't forestall climate change by reducing your carbon in downtown Waterbury. So what we're really talking about is adaptation, resilience, making kinds of the kinds of infrastructure changes and lifestyle changes uh, that are necessary to live in this new environment. Am I overstating that, Lisa Loomis? No, I don't think so. And I think the very healthy discussions that are taking places in communities, taking places in communities around Vermont after the July floods. Or demonstrate that. I mean, Montpelier had a very serious conversation with itself about its downtown, and yeah. it's, it's that's radical change. In our community, after Tropical Storm Irene, and I think in Waterbury as well, we did make a lot of changes, and some of those changes prevented significant damage from the July flooding. One thing that happened this week, which was interesting, is that Sugarbush rebuilt its snowmaking pond, the weir that is the inlet, that allows water to come from the Mad River into its 10 million gallon snowmaking pond was redesigned and it allows 
the river to flood into that area. Again, further slowing the flow of water downstream. So there's things that we can do, we have learned to do in our community that I think communities all over Vermont are doing. Yeah, Lisa Scaloni, what's what? How does how does the town manager and the and the the, the other officials in Water Bay talk about climate change? These in the view of the flood. You know, there's sort of the, the, the macro and the micro, right? You know, there's there was a, a story this past week um, that uh, Vermont Public did looking at a plan from post-Irene about potentially um, lowering some of the land around um, the Winooski River um, section where Waterbury um, sits um, to potentially widen the floodplain. Um, that was something that was talked about. Um, it didn't really go very, it didn't go anywhere after that. It kind of got shelved, and now they're kind of pulling that out again, saying maybe we should revisit that. Um, maybe making a bigger floodplain is possible. The other people look at that and they say, you're just moving the, the, the problem downstream. So make room for Waterbury, but that water's still has to go somewhere, right? So does right. that mean that, you know, Bolton, Richmond are going to be in the, the crosshairs even more so as a result? Um, you know, on the micro level, though, one thing I see is that, um, you know, our zoning um, has been adjusted so that the, the areas of our town that lie in these low-lying areas um, have, you know, discussions when um, people are building, uh, when people are remodeling. There's a lot of um, effort right now being put into people cleaning up and putting things back in a way that's more resilient. So when it comes to, you know, there's a lot of old houses, right? They've got dirt floors, they've got stone foundations. Whether people are sealing foundations, whether they're getting things out of their basements like electrical panels um, and other sorts of equipment in their homes so that they don't end up having those things destroyed the next time they get filled with water. Um, you know, these are little steps that people are trying to adjust. You know, how is their house built? Where is it built? Um, how are we building? Um, are we building things that are elevated? Um, and so some of it, it you know, there's an acknowledgement in all that, that it's, things are different now, right? And that things, um, you need to take these things into consideration and, and try to be a little bit, um, you know, sort of forward thinking and being ready for the, the next um, step. I have a friend who built on Route 2 near Fars Field, um, which is always floods and is a very low area. When they built their home, they elevated, they, they brought in fill and they sort of elevated a spot on their lot where the home was going to sit. Um, in the July flood, I don't know how they did in this past week. I need to check in with them. Um, but their, their house was like an island, um, and their lower level was built in a way that if water went into their lower level, it was not going to end up destroying anything critical. Um, so you have to kind of factor that in now when you're, when you're thinking, where do we live? Where do we work? And are the, the places where we live and work um, able to withstand this and, and you know, sort of make it through, or do we have to rethink how we put these things together?